This is the Veterinary Project Podcast, episode 32, part two. Welcome to the show created by vets featuring absolutely no pets. This is the Veterinary Project Podcast, hosted by Dr. Michael Bug and Dr. Jonathan Light. Our resident veterinarians have swapped out their stethoscopes in favor of microphones to bring you the Veterinary Project Podcast, a show focused on real conversations aimed to connect this amazing profession full of remarkable people. Through the sharing of collective stories and wisdom and connecting over the many unique challenges we face, we invite you to join our community of veterinary professionals leading intentional lives. And now, here are the hosts of the Veterinary Project Podcast, Dr. Michael Bug and Dr. Jonathan Light. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Veterinary Project Podcast. This is part two of our conversation with Dr. Enid Stiles. Um, as always, your co-host, Dr. Michael Bug and Dr. Jonathan Light. Jonathan, fill us in here for our guests if they're jumping in. You know, we had a great conversation, sort of part one with Enid. Uh, we got into kind of some workplace um, things that are changing with COVID. And that's where we're going to pick off here in uh, part two. Hey, I'm excited about everybody to be able to listen to this part. Um, as we were talking about in our pre-recording, I wouldn't say it gets spicy, but the heat's turned up a little bit, which is great. And uh, it's, it's, it's enjoyable to be speaking with an individual that has put themselves in on a platform where you do at times have to pick a direction, but then within the CVMA, which is such a broad voice for all veterinarians across Canada, we dig into where you sometimes don't have that opportunity and you're trying to speak with one voice, but it's sometimes not there. So we go into that. What does it look like in terms of um, some of the position statements? What do you actually do with these position statements? But first, we start back by jumping into her own practice. Uh, and again, we, we jump a little bit all over the place in a good way. There's some spice, added temperature, well worthwhile. Yeah, and the thing I, I really appreciate uh, with Enid is she's, she's doing both sides. She's the current CVMA president sitting on council, but she actually is still on the ground as a veterinarian running her own veterinary practice. So this isn't just theory, right? This isn't just sitting around a boardroom saying, well, this might work. She can draw on her own real experience on the ground with real people, real emotions during COVID and, and you know, what's working, what's not. The wellness checklist. We go through that. And what does that look like to her? which is much different than everybody else. And, and again, what, what does that look like during COVID hopefully post COVID? Yeah. We get into it all. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to dive right in here. Um, if you have not listened or checked out the first one, part one, I would highly recommend you, you go back and listen to that one first because this builds off of it. Um, so yeah, without any further ado, Dr. Enid styles in part two. All right. Welcome back, everyone. Part two of our conversation with Enid. We're jumping back in. Uh, we were talking about veterinary practice and sort of the stresses and how things have changed with COVID. And Jonathan left off uh, with a very good question. So we're, we're just going to pick up right there and, and dive in. So take it away, Jonathan. Excellent. So 
Welcome back to everybody who's listening. I want to jump right into it. And that first question was regarding uh, registered veterinary technologists and both how in discussing it from a workflow perspective within your practice, uh, the struggles and how you worked with it, considering there is a shortage of registered veterinary technologists and we're underutilizing them. What does that look like to you in your practice? You know, uh, I don't really know a time when we weren't looking for a veterinary technologist in our practice. And, and we've actually been really lucky because we've had people come to us from other practices, um, possibly because of the way that we practice because we're a low stress handling facility. And also because we've never declawed and never will, which for you guys out West is, is still, uh, is not happening in many of your provinces, but here in Quebec, unfortunately, uh, it still is. So for multiple, multiple reasons, we've had always technicians knocking at our doors, but I still kind of grab them as soon as they come and then I'm still looking for more. So, so it's a, it's a struggle. Um, I would say the COVID, it's, it's, it's got its good and it's bad with respect to what I think it's demonstrating to us. Um, we have always used our veterinary technologists the way that we should be using them. They are absolutely at our practice. They are the ones doing the anesthetics. They're doing a, a lot of parts of dentistry. There's a lot of contact with the clients as far as relaying information, calling back for sickies, um, a lot of lab work. And we used to, you know, have less of their doing a lot of handling. So holding and going and getting animals and stuff, because really we had assistant technicians or aid techs doing that. What's happened with COVID is that because we have still in our practice and a lot of them uh, curbside type, so the animals are not coming into the room. So I no longer have the owner holding the animal. And that small thing, just that small, you would never expect it could create such a ruckus in a practice, but just that aspect of not having that one person that owns that animal holding has created a huge bottleneck in our system. And now, now I need somebody to hold that pet. And who? Well, now I got to use my technician because my aid tech is also holding and wait a second. So I need another one or two people per person when I'm seeing a, a patient. This is crazy. So unfortunately, even for the practices that were using their technicians really well and utilizing them to their expertise and experience that they have, which is what we should be doing, um, we've had to kind of pull them back a little bit. So now I've got technicians holding patients for me when I never needed to have them do that before. So I feel that that's really unfortunate. And um, what we're doing in our practice right now is we're just looking forward because because now we realize that probably it's going to be another year or so without people being able to come in to hold, probably. So what can we do? Um, we're looking at how we can develop a sort of mid-tier assistant. So a veteran assistant. Um, obviously not going to be qualified like a technician, but just to move away the need for the technicians to do that kind of work of going to get the patient, getting a history, bring them back to me, doing my exam, holding for the exam, getting the vaccine certificate. This is technical work that's not technician's work. Yes. This, yep. is, this is like, I could teach my 16-year-old daughter this, not a problem. I absolutely could. Um, so I think what we're looking at is, is how to do that. And we can use vet students, that's a good way, uh, but they're in school during the year, so it's only good in the summer. Um, but there are people looking for work. And I just, I think that that idea of having a different delivery system, especially right now, get those techs to do what they need to be doing. And that's not 
just holding a patient and answering, well, answering phones to an extent, but meaning answering the important questions like triaging appropriately and dealing with the medical issues, right? Um, so I spoke yeah, about that earlier in terms of triaging and workflow and what mm-hmm. that looks like messaging wise. How do you then better utilize technology towards <laughs> that end, considering the bottlenecks that are in place? Oh gosh. You know, when COVID started, we started texting. And, I'm, and listen, I'm like, I might be in my 40s somewhere, but I'm, I'm well into to, to social networking and I'm all good. I'm not anti-techie, but I still was like, what is going to be the purpose of having text messaging at my practice? And even telemedicine, I was a bit reluctant because I... I, I still couldn't see what it was that me as a vet was going to be able to do through telemedicine without actually touching the animal. Like I, it was hard for me to conceptualize that. So I, I'm not convinced anything that we're doing is good. <laughs> Just see what we're doing. So yes, we have texting now, um, which is good for things like uh, somebody wants to send us a picture of an, something quick. They need to know, do they need to make an appointment? Um, they want to send us uh, a picture of a post, you know, like an incision after surgery. We used to have them always coming in. No way. I don't have time for them to come in anymore. Send me a picture. Um, But the problem with the texting, as we quickly discovered, was that, you know, um, people are going to call us, not reach us, leave a message, send us an email, then text us for the same thing. (laughs) second and I've got three different people checking those three devices and so I've got three different messages from the same person and nobody's communicating terrible um so I would say that it's got its pros and its cons and you can you know I mean getting services that can do your um telling people that their appointments upcoming uh reaching people people love text they just love it but you got to have the person power to deal with that technology which is a whole other position right we have somebody now working from home. This is crazy. She works eight hours a day and she is checking emails, calling people back, checking texts um, and doing like our sort of pre-surgery discussions and everything. And is that a tech assistant or is that a veterinary technologist? She's actually a technologist. Um, And in Quebec, we have an interesting... So when women get pregnant here, if they're working in a veterinary profession, then they have the right to go on a sort of workers' compensation leave uh, for pregnancy. Uh, and in fact, they, they are not allowed to work in a veterinary hospital whereby there has been isoflurane within 12 hours. And, and sorry, just to jump in, like, place. as soon as they're pregnant, right? Like this is, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we often have veterinary technicians and veterinarians that are off for like 18 to 22 months at a time. So during that time, uh, we can reassign them. So in this case, we reassigned her at home. And it worked out great for COVID. We were like, oh my God, this is brilliant. (laughs) We need somebody on the phone all the time. And wow. Uh, But when she's finished her leave, when she actually goes on to maternity, we will be replacing somebody with that position. It's probably going to be a long-term thing. You're hearing that more and more, that remote work, trying to take some of those amazing number of phone calls that we do, which is tripled per appointment yes. now based yep. on curbside. Yeah. I do hope it will get a little bit back to some normalcy. Like I, 
I miss having the clients in and I'm, I'm getting like a lovely neck kink here from doing this all the time while I'm trying to write my episode. We just bought headphones. You, yeah. you need to have headphones now so that you can walk around and still talk, which is again. Oh my God. We're, we, we got them for our front reception, but I said to my husband, like, we need one on every phone. This is killing us. Um, so yeah, I would say, and, and we're doing some telemedicine now. I wouldn't say we embraced it full 100%. Um, uh, probably because a lot of what people are trying to deal with, we do need to see the patient, but we just, you know, but something's happening, like some follow-ups, uh, certainly some of our more difficult stressed dogs and cats where people, it was already a struggle. And no matter how much medication we gave them, they really didn't feel comfortable, the clients bringing those stressed animals in. So sometimes we'll do a lot more of that. Um, so, and, and because also I have a veterinarian who does quite a bit of palliative assessments and palliative work with our new sort of part of our, of our team. Um, she can do a lot of that by telemedicine. And that's fun actually, because like me doing behavior as well as telemedicine, you can see in people's homes, which for palliative care can be very informative because you can see where they're living, what kind of flooring they have, where they have to go to eat, watch them with their gait, uh, where, you know, all of those little aspects of things that are very holistic uh, that can be really fun with telemedicine, but uh, the general stuff, not so much. <laughs> and are you guys doing that through uh, an app associated with whatever practice management software, just zoom calling it? What does that look like for yeah. you guys? Yeah, we're just zoom or FaceTime right now. We have an iPad, so we can just bring it into whatever room people want to. And uh, so it's not taking a, an actual computer station. Um, but yeah, we didn't, because, Again, I mean, maybe I'm old style and I, and I do want to embrace it. Um, and I think it's been a really interesting opportunity because people actually have to pay for the service to speak to us, which is like, wow. <laughs> Wait a second. Um, so that's good. Uh, but it, I think it still has a ways to go. And I think we still have to be quite careful too on how we use it. I agree with you. And I want to, I want to take this even a step further and, and join from a couple of other guests that we've had on in terms of that pay for service. Mm -hmm. We as veterinarians have been doing phone consults for since the beginning of time and only getting more and more and more. And yeah. so now the concept of getting paid for your professional services mm -hmm. is it's not new, but this allows us to move that next step forward. How uh, in trying to do that in your practice, even though it's old school, I'm using that in quotations, <laughs> how has that come across um, to some of your owners, which may be pushing back or going, what do you mean you're going to charge yeah. me for this consult? Well, I think for the majority of them, because we're doing telemedicine as an alternative to the animal coming in, they are pretty open to the payment part because they are seeing that this is actually, oh, well, I would have come in, but I can't, or I don't want to. So yeah, I guess I'll have to do it this way. Um, so we actually haven't seen much pushback, I, I would say. Um, I, I do think though that, I think the next step of telemedicine, what I would, if I were to see this going forward, would be as telemedicine being a paid for triage type of situation. And then it'd be the animal health technicians doing it. So that instead of it being a full consult, which it might still end up being, but that aspect of should I come in? Should I not come in? Can you help me? Oh, yes. Well, you could just try cleaning the ear and doing this and doing that. Like these small little things that we spend an exorbitant amount of time talking to them or our technicians do. I would like to see that be a service that 
is valued um, in a financial way. Because yep. um, I do feel that that does have value and it is being underutilized heavily. Fully agree with you. And there are services getting started in Canada doing that right now, yeah. which I'm excited yeah. about for the future. Yeah. Again, utilizing RVT skills, et cetera, et cetera. Enid, you, you had mentioned, and, and uh, I apologize if I get the term wrong, that the CVMA, is it Workforce Committee? Right. So, so last year, I mean, of course, we all know that there, we feel it in pretty much every province in Canada, uh, this incredible need for vets and, and animal health technicians, uh, veteran technologists. Um, sorry, you know, in Quebec, we call them animal health technicians. Every so province. it's why I, I am every like, what, what term should I use? Yep. Ah, anyway, so... <laughs> Um, so knowing that that was coming out and, and but there were a few provinces that had done their own um, studies themselves and a few that were not getting any uptake from the government like they were not listening to what they were finding such as in BC so there was you know a big need so we did a Canada-wide workforce study that um, you can find sort of a summary of that survey of that study uh, in the on our website, the CVMA website. The full report is available for members. Um, it's very, I, I was part of the team looking at what questions should be asked and, and what we were trying to find out. And um, I would say that it's, it was a very broad study, but we needed that. And it uh, looked at all the different provinces and also to see if there was any difference on that part as well. So what area of veterinary medicine, what physio, like what geographical area, um, and also looked at age distribution uh, of hours worked, et cetera. And very importantly, looked at our Canadian population changes uh, as well as our um, average household income. So, so they looked at all of those things and basically came back to what we really knew was happening. We're, no big surprises there, major workforce shortage uh, for veterinarians and, and veterinary technologists. So. By 2040, it is estimated that we will have, so, you know, chart the, up comes the population of dogs and cats and animals in Canada. Here come the vets and well, we're here, we're right next to it. And then pew, it's gonna just go right over and we're gonna have not enough vets for all the animals by 2040. I would say we're already there, frankly, but um, with COVID, we didn't really predict that. So it's probably a lot shorter than 2040. Um, so as a result, uh, the CVMA took that study and put together a workforce group committee. So it's just a group of people, including deans, government regulators, provincial associations, uh, students. Um, so we've got a, a very good um, group of stakeholders on that group. And they've just will be submitting their um, recommendations to our council in a few weeks. Okay. With what goal? Hmm. Well, we wanted the group to look at it to tell us what our goals should be. <laughs> because obviously, you know, uh, there, you know, of course, the first thing we think about is, well, schools should have more seats. That's it. That's, that is the, that's the only way. Um, and that is a way, um, but it's not the only way that we can have more of a workforce in Canada. And we also really wanted to know what parts of the workforce are the, are the most lacking? So is it the equine vets in, in rural parts of, of Quebec, which is actually, yes, an enormous problem, but, uh, or is it the food animal veterinarians in, in, uh, in Newfoundland? Is it 
small animal urban vets, where are the holes or is it every part? Um, and so that they needed to look at. Um, and I think for the CVMA, it was what are some tangible things that CVMA can help with in order to move this issue forward? And so asking the deans, what is it you guys want us to do? How can we help? What strategies have we already, you know, we meet every year with the deans actually in the summer um, at our convention, we meet with the deans. So we kind of already know some of the answers to these questions, but this was a way to really bring it all together. And another few areas that are kind of interesting, which you know, you've probably seen at your schools or in the practices that you've worked, um, but we've got a lot of international like we've got a lot of students who are Canadian who have gone abroad to practice and some, but not all come back. <laughs> so some of them decide when they do their placement in the U S that they'd rather stay in the U S or they'd like to move and stay in Australia. I probably would too, but I'm just saying. <laughs> so well, a lot of Canadian students who are out of country going to sometimes accredited colleges um, but don't return home. So how can we get them to come back home? That's one, one area and really encourage them to do so. Um, second thing is of course, the people coming to Canada who are veterinarians who are coming from unaccredited schools who need to get their certificate of um, qualification. And in order to do so, as you guys know, really some significant exams that need to be passed and the failure rate is enormous on those exams. How can we help them pass those exams and be qualified and good Canadian veterinarians. How can we do that? And there's a bunch of different ways and some of those mechanisms really probably need to be developed more thoroughly and need to be supported at a government level, right? Like universities can't just come up with these things like final year programs and, and for these students without really good funding and really good programming. Um, so I think some really interesting things like that and then the final thing, which is not going to be a surprise, is how can we keep our workforce from burning out? So wellness is huge. Wellness is, of anything that CVMA can do right now, it's helping with the wellness issue of our current veterinarians and veteran technologists. And, and is, there, um, is there initiatives underway? I know, I, I thought I saw the CVMA has a wellness advisory group. Yes. Um, can you tell us like a little bit about that? Because to be honest, I hadn't really heard of it until yeah. um, yeah. I started digging into you and kind of all things yeah. CDMA. Yeah. So I mean, wellness is such an, you know, it, it's such an enormous part of what we can and can offer. But all we could do is, is, is help people along that pathway. So whether that's continuing education, giving them webinars, we have a really great um, group of webinars uh, through what's well, actually supported by Merck, but it's called, it's the time to talk about veterinary mental health and a fantastic Westerner, Kathy Keel, uh, who I cannot speak more wonderful things about has really brought the mental health issue to the forefront of the CVMA and of many other organizations. Um, so these types of people who are able to bring psychologists on, vets to talk about their own personal experiences, get that message out, um, find ways, key ways that we can help in practice as well. So tangible things like even having stickers on your controlled substances, um, safe, uh, what words to use, not to use, 
um, looking at ways that we could maybe support peers, peer programs, mentorship programs. Um, there's a lot down the road and a lot that's already been ongoing. So our wellness advisory group sort of helps the focus on how we can bring that uh, in a dynamic way, because I think there's a lot out there. Um, it's how to get people and keep people engaged on the subject. Mm-hmm. I agree with you, how to pe- focus people into the, some of those tangible places um, and especially in times of need, which is right now, without a doubt. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that engagement piece, um, you know, like when, when you're overwhelmed, it, it can be very easy to withdraw, you know? And so mm-hmm. sometimes uh, maybe people that need this the most want to, to get away from it because things are just too overwhelming and then, then throw COVID on top of it and everything's Absolutely. kind of boiling over. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I, I see it at our practice. Like we probably when COVID first started, uh, we didn't talk much about COVID. We just talked about everybody's health, uh, mental health, because we knew that there were some very anxious people on our team who were suffering at the beginning. Then they got a lot better during, it was interesting. It was like, because, because COVID was all about the unknown, they really had trouble with that. But then as things changed, it wasn't those people that were having trouble. It was some of the others. So now we're seeing a whole other group at our practice that are, that are really starting to struggle now um, because it's probably been just this constant level of stress that's affecting them now. But yeah, how, how to know? And I think that comes to, even if you don't struggle yourself in a, we all struggle, but <clears throat> even if you're not at that level of struggle, what what ways can you learn to be able to recognize other people's struggles and terms and use of words that you can help them and reach out to them. So that's part of what we've been trying to do with uh, some of the webinars that have been coming out. Nice. I, I have to ask this and, and as CVMA president, if you're holding a crystal ball for what the next five years looks like at some point, we're going to be post COVID we're still going to have these shortages. They're only going to increase if we don't make some true tangible changes and get some governments on board. Mm-hmm. What does that look like from your perspective right now? Well, I mean, I, I'm usually a very optimistic person. So generally speaking, I mean, my husband thinks I'm a pessimist because I look at the bad side of things, but actually I'm thinking about that things are going to change because otherwise I wouldn't work. To, to make things change. I'm, I'm a big believer in change. I, I do think that this is going to be um, a, a long haul. Uh, there's no answer that's going to just miraculously happen. Um, I think we need to see a lot of support from our associations and certainly in those that are involved with corporate groups from those corporate groups need to be supporting us deeply and heavily Um, and be able to recognize, so what can we do to recognize these issues and find ways to help support until that miracle, which is probably more seats and more graduating events actually happens. And then as those graduating events come out, we're going to see another hump, right? And that's going to be that we need more mentorship, better mentorship for those students. They need to be prepared. So there's a huge journey out there. But I I do think that the crystal ball is a good one. And here's my reason. People love animals. (laughs) You know, this sounds awful, but we are in the most incredible position of any profession out there. Like what other profession is growing, except for maybe those that are making like masks, but, and people that are actually 
okay, whole other subject, but um, truthfully, what other types of businesses are going to be growing during this part? It's, you know, very unusual. I, uh, my neighbor is a, a flight, is a, uh, um, a flight attendant lost her job. Uh, you know, uh, restaurants everywhere uh, closing down. So for us to actually have the complete opposite problem is, is a beautiful thing. Um, in that at least we have people to stay with their jobs, we have incomes to give them, we can keep them safe, um, and we can keep people happy with new pets in their homes because they are such a wonderful part of people's families. But I think that the way that we do practice is going to need to change. Mm -hmm. It's going to have to change. Yeah, I agree. Okay, Enid, let's, let's maybe zoom, zoom out a bit on CVMA. So we've gone down okay. a few of the, the avenues, um, like the workforce, the wellness you know, I guess let's drop right in. Like what, with what does the CVMA do, you know, like at your role in president mm -hmm. kind of big picture, um, fill us in. And for, for international listeners, obviously, uh, CVMA is the Canadian veterinary medical association. Other countries have their, their equivalent. So basically I, I just look at the CVMA as trying to be one voice for veterinarians across Canada. And I recognize and probably didn't know all the political stuff prior to being on the organization that I do now, um, but being Canadian and being such an enormous country and so spread out with so many different needs and wants and wishes, um, politically and other, uh, I, I, I certainly see that one voice isn't always totally possible. Um, but we do represent a large number of veterans across Canada. So, and the majority of veterans across Canada. So um, it's a way to bring everybody together as much as we can, looking at some of our really important issues that are out there um, and trying to find a unified voice to approach those subjects and things like our, for instance, our position statements, which are so important. Uh, this helps the other associations who often use our position statements as a starting point or as in fact their own position statement um, on important issues like transportation and animals, like dog importation, like uh, multitude of animal welfare issues. So it's, it's, it's broad, but, uh, but, but much needed. Mm -hmm. And, and how, I know you, you said, uh, some of them can get heated. Uh, you said animal mm. welfare in particular. Um, yeah. How do you navigate that? Right? Like when you, the, the idea of one voice across a massive country, um, yeah, like kind of, I guess, let us peek behind the scenes maybe on what that looks like. <laughs> oh, Oh God. Well, so when I first started on CVMA, um, I was also quite engaged in the anti-decoil movement here in Canada. Well, mostly American actually, but in Canada as well. Uh, a, pro a, a thing called Paw Project, if you've ever watched the documentary and got to know them quite well. But when I started at CVMA, I knew that they were in the works of working on their um, decline, anti-decline animal welfare position statement, but I didn't know where it was. All I knew was that it was heated and they were getting a lot of conversation. And it was actually probably the moment where CVMA decided as a council to take these issues and be the one that was going to be one step ahead about what was really happening. So in order to see change, we need to take action. And too often, because we're speaking for so many people, those animal welfare issues are very hard because there is a lot of emotion, right? And 
you probably saw that there was a letter to the editor last year, a couple letters to the editor. I could see Jonathan going, oh God, Enid's going to talk about this now. <laughs> so the Canadian Veterinary Journal is a, is a journal in which, you know, we, this is, people write letters to the editor. And it was so heated because it essentially created a big problem amongst what we're being foreseen. Are we the ones that are supporting farmers? Are we supporting food animal veterinarians? Or are we saying that, you know, food animals are just bad and we should all be vegan and that's it. And animals should roam free in the wildlife of the Canadian prairies. So where are we? And this is really quite something. Um, And in fact, I wrote one of my president's messages because I am a natural activist, so I've always been the one to, to, to be the activist. I have, a, I have something that I believe in, and boom, I'm going for it. And, and i kind of not always seeing either side. I'm just, the, the, I believe in this. So for me, declawing was like, I mean, well, frankly, it is really just one. <laughs> I will say that one. I still believe fully that it's just this way. There's no, there's no other way to look at it. But anyhow, so I'm an activist and always have been. But when I started being on council with, with um, and even on the NIC, but certainly on council, I, I started to feel like I was like in a, in a doing drills for soccer. Like I was like, boom, boom. Oh, I got, okay, I gotta be here. I gotta be over there. Oh no, they think this. Okay, here we are. Where, where are we? <laughs> and what I realized is, is that although we often have to take a middle ground, sometimes you really do need to take a little bit to the side ground or fully over like we did for, for decline, um, because otherwise change really won't happen. And if I look at my colleagues in, uh, in Europe, where you can see that, I mean, they are like, whoa, welfare, like, we're talking about. I mean, they, just, they just looked at me and said, you're doing decline. So yeah, um, just to say that uh, I don't think we can always take the middle road and we really do um, for the animal's sake, sometimes need to take uh, something a little bit over to one side. Yeah. And that's, that's an important, um, you know, conversation zooming into a veterinary clinic. I know uh, moral distress can really weigh heavy on individual veterinarians. Any, any thoughts Mm -hmm. on how you can empower an individual veterinarian, you know, to, to not, find your voice is not the right word, but like mm-hmm. to, to honor your voice or to listen to it. Yeah. I remember once when I was in vet school, so this is like a while ago, um, we had somebody come, we sort of had a, a sort of ethics class kind of, um, and communications, ethics and communications, I think it was called. And we had a vet come in who, she was a, a local vet. And she just came to talk to us about humane, about, uh, sorry, about, um, uh, about euthanasia, but she came to talk to us about her choice at her practice not to do um, healthy euthanasias. And the conflict that that started to bring into the discussion in our classroom was really interesting. Um, and what it allowed us to have, and I fully believe this, and I, every graduate that comes to us, I, I, I absolutely want them to know that they should not be afraid to say what they are thinking and how they might feel ethically obliged to do something different. And I have been the one who has had to come in to do the 35 
cat, 35 pound cat euthanasia because my new graduate would not do it because she didn't feel ethically okay about it. I did because I felt that this was not a life for that cat, but she did not. And she could not bring herself to do it. And I had to respect that. That new graduate now would do it, okay? Because she needed time to come to that and that's okay. Uh, I had another new graduate who we had a really, very serious, very, very aggressive husky young dog euthanasia that uh, was a case of mine and behavior, but I couldn't be there for the euthanasia. And so we had asked that vet to do it and, and he was not comfortable. And I remember initially thinking, how can you not be comfortable with this? This, this dog is, is it, I've worked on it, we've tried. It's, it's very unhealthy, this dog, mentally extremely ill. It is unhappy. You know, I had all, I had already gone through everything ethically in my mind and he had not. And today, if you ask him, he's like, now he's worked at shelters. <laughs> and so now his eyes have changed. So I do think that that is something that is an evolution of your own understanding of ethics. And it might change with time that you should listen to your heart and what you believe. Um, and that mentors should be accepting of that because everybody does have a journey to make and it's not all the same for everybody. That's a big one. That is key right there, especially from the mentorship perspective. And we don't talk about that a lot is how can we be key mentors as people move through their experiential journeys towards their own understanding, which might not still be the same. And that's all right. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. It's, it's all, it's moving and evolving. You know, it's not, just one point in time. Um, so you always are adapting. For sure. I do. There's things that I say in practice that I think that when I first graduated, I would have never been said. And I love that about it. I, I truly like, I can feel it now, even as I say it, that's, I'm not the same person I was 10 years ago, let alone the same veterinarian with all the experiences that have happened. And that is amazing. And therefore for those that are looking at, you know, we've got one that I'm working with, like she's only two years out. Say you know, yes. stick with us. Let's look oh, at this. Yeah. Don't, don't drop veterinary medicine. It's so amazing. It could be so beautiful if you give it that time. And it's then our job to help you walk through that as well together. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and tying this Good into the, your um, CVMA position statements, I can see how this would be challenging because as you said, they're forward mm-hmm. looking. So you have, yes. you have the current situation, you have your, your current person that you are in the current way you think, and you're trying to jump out into the future yeah. you know, and, and maybe even anticipate a little bit where, where you need to be and where the profession and industry needs to be. Not yeah. an easy task. Not easy. I mean, you know, we, and, and this is a hot topic. I don't even, I'm kind of allowed to talk about it, but um, you might've seen that recent uh, news piece on transportation of horses uh, and to, to, for horse meat to Japan from Canada. And uh, what, you know, we had to prepare ourselves as an organization to have a response to this in case, because they didn't come to us prior to doing uh, the, the news piece, but we, we needed to be prepared. So we started having this really interesting conversation about transportation of uh, horses, of course, brings into general transportation regulations, which have changed. And we were really part of that change with the CFIA a few years ago, but it's still not ideal. And there's still major issues. But it didn't just bring in the whole transportation. Then it brought in, of course, the aspects of horse meat and slaughter in Canada. And how can we be slaughtering horses in Canada? They don't do it in the U.S. And why don't they do it in the U.S.? Oh, yes, but American horses come up here after many, many hours, if not days and days of transportation into Canada to be slaughtered at our facilities. Then I realized I 
this, this is like something we, we, we've been trying to work on with the Animal Welfare Committee for many years on whether there's going to be a new position statement on generally transportation uh, of equids. And it's, see, this is why it's not just a simple thing. It's, a, it's an enormous discussion. Um, and so many people have so many things to say about it. And there's so many different perspectives. That's what makes the animal welfare so interesting. <laughs> and it's so also a science too, so not to forget. Guy on the outside, uh, and I didn't watch that news episode, know about it, etc. And you're seeing one side of it or, or a viewpoint from that, that uh, media. Uh, yeah. How do you then move that forward so that you then, again, uh, I don't know if this is the example because the position statements... You know, um, how do you use past position statements to then advocate for change within the CVMA? Because those position statements, they're not legal documents then say you yeah. must do so. How yeah. do you, as again, the president of the CVMA right now, then move that into action? That's a, that isn't even a point I've struggled yeah. with personally as being a member of the CVMA is I see these come through. I'm yeah. now on council. May We work yeah. through them, but what happens next then? Great. Mm-hmm. I've got a position statement. Fantastic. Well, I mean, this is the thing, is that there must be pools, and that's really all they can be, for people such as provincial associations or regulators to use, so that they can then lobby, if needed, to make change. And I mean, we'll use the decline one because it's easy. Um, Our position statement was literally used by a multitude of provinces to make regulatory changes. Wow. Right? Like, and that's what we can wish for is that all of that research and all of that effort can help those associations, those regulators, those lobbyers, lobbyists um, make change. But in itself, we can't really do that, right? Like, we can to a certain extent do some lobbying and we have through government, um, but we don't, we don't have somebody paid to lobby, like some associations do, like in, in, in uh, Alberta, you guys do, this is amazing. This is what you really all need to have. Um, but uh, we ourselves, um, because also because we have to be very careful because we aren't regulators and we want to work with them, but we're not, we're not regulators. We can't tell them to change. We can just say, listen, this is what our research is showing us. This is what our welfare committee has come up with. And we hope that this helps you make some decisions going forward. Can I take it a further step? Yeah, for sure. Ahead of the regulars made a change, personal business can make a change. Yes. So declining is the perfect example, whereas it doesn't, in my view, and again, I could be totally offside, and that's all right, I'm allowed to be. If I, as a personal business, decide that that's something I'm not ethically or morally with, I can make that change way ahead of the legislator. And in the situation... We're, we're then moving for the change that we want to see. And I think as a organization and as a group, as a, a, a profession, veterinarians can do that. And I think we need to do it more. And I think that was shown through, through uh, if we want to go backwards to some CVJ articles that came out in the last year and some conflict that came as a, a result of it. Again, good discussion to have. <laughs> well, that, was, that was a fun time to be the new president. Just want to say, I, I don't envy you through that, but I, I also, I also recognize it. And, and I, I, res- I respect in this weird, strange way that you guys allowed that to come through. So that's, that's what's happened. People need a place to speak. And I'm a big believer in that. So 
knowing that people need to have a forum to speak and have their opinions. And then also knowing that we still need to come up with, in some respect, uh, a, a one voice um, is, is definitely the challenge. Um, probably to me, I, I think it would have been more challenging had I not had this lovely thing called COVID taking up 90% of my time. Um, <laughs> it probably would have been a bigger issue. I had a lot of other plans this year than COVID, that's for sure. Yeah. Enid, let's, let's look at the other side of the coin for a second. So we're hearing all this, you have all these uh, demands, um, position statements with multiple sides, heated discussions. But on the flip side, being involved in council, being in, in the CVMA um, is very rewarding to you. Can, you. can you tell us a little bit about what you get out of it personally? And, I, and I'm like, like how that makes you feel, you know, why, why are you doing this? I mean, I, I think some people are just born as sort of, again, it sounds cocky to say it, but natural leaders, meaning that people usually when they meet me, they know that I like to be on boards. I like to be talking about hot topics. I like to engage. I like, and it gives me so much to think about and just to feel involved um, in whatever I'm doing is is very important to my own wellness. That's my wellness. Um, if I was just to go to the gym and, you know, go to my kids' games, which I, those are all things that are important to my wellness, but that's part of it. That's part of my checkbox of wellness is, is volunteerism and probably more than anything, activism. Um, so you can't take that part. It's just part of me. I think that the CVMA, uh, what I've absolutely, first of all, never expected so many genuinely kind people who love their profession and want to see change and want to help our profession move forward. Uh, I've never seen such a wonderful group of people in my life. The council, and I mean, you know, not everybody stays on council forever. I've been there now for seven years, but um you know, there, there's been many people that have changed off of provinces and the universities, et cetera, and the students every year. Um, so it's been a great opportunity to meet my colleagues from across the country. And I have built relationships that um, I know will be with me forever, 100%, absolutely. I have people out West, I've got people in the East, and they're gonna see me once COVID is over, I'm gonna show up at their houses. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know that yet, but I'm there. You'll just uh, unexpectedly. So we have a mutual contact, Terry, um, who yeah. was a former CVMA president, I, I believe 2018, but I could be wrong on the year. Um, and one of the things I remember her saying was the rewards of being involved, um, you know, on council are more than you can imagine, right? Like you may have an idea, but it's this positive, unexpected surprise of just how rewarding it can be and, and the relationships that you can form. And it, so has that been your experience? Like, even though you expected it to be good, kind of be, beyond that? For, for me, it was, it was, it's entirely been the relationships. I think that's probably the hardest thing to come from COVID is that, uh, is that, you know, most of us, and, and I see this on council and I, and I love everybody on council, but I can see in every meeting that we have that the normal excitement and these little mini conversations that happen on the side over a glass of wine uh, are just not there. Um, I think people are getting burnt out of just 
feeling like there's very little that they can contribute um, because those social relationships, and we are social beings, humans are social. So this is extremely hard for people such as, as myself and others that are very social to have to sit in front of a screen and have a conversation. We're doing the best we can, but I, I know that that's been hard. And, and I know that it's pretty hard to be thinking about joining a big council and like my, the person who just took over for me for council for Quebec, I mean, he took over last summer, like he's never met anybody. And I, and I, I can't even imagine how blech that is, you know, for him. So we, we're doing everything we can, but I, I certainly hope COVID's going to end because nothing like Terry said, you know, that makes us really enjoy it that much more is the relationships that we get to build with people from across our really incredible country. Yeah, that's fantastic. So, I mean, as we wrap this up, I guess I want to kind of leave with if there's a young veterinarian, a student, or, or even an older experienced veterinarian, how can they get involved if that's something that they want? You know, this interests them and, and they think, you know what, I want to kind of contribute and get involved. What would you recommend to them? Well, I mean, listen, it, it, there, there are lots of ways. Um, it just, sometimes it's hard to find one specific thing. So the first thing that's really important is, is there something that CVMA is working on or doing that interests you? Like, are you interested in the business aspect? Are you interested in um, social media and you want to like help in social media? Do you, are you interested in regulatory change? And are you, you know, maybe you should be reaching to your provincial association and that's your next step to being part of CVMA because for most provinces, that is certainly the way to do it. Um, send emails, you can send an email to me, to the president. You can say, I'm super keen. Um, you can send messages to the, the communications people. You can become active in our social media campaigns themselves. Um, and I think that if you have something that really drives you, like, you know, deep down and, and, and you have a, a, an inkling, you just got to go for it. There's, there are so many ways to get involved everywhere. Like I said, from your soup kitchen to your national organization, um, there are ways to get involved. And, and CVMA is, is really never going to turn people away. Um, there's just you know, mechanisms sometimes I mean to get counsel, obviously that's a big one, right? But there are lots of other things. And certainly when we have our conventions, when they come back and, you know, are in person again, um, you, can, you can volunteer at the conventions because they're always looking for volunteers at the conventions for things to do locally. So get involved in the next convention that's happening in your city uh, for CVMA, that's huge. Um, and yeah, and then as things come up, there's going to be always positions available for all the different committees and subgroups and everything. Just put your name in, put it in. The more they see the name, the more likely you're going to get picked the next time. So, Oh, that's, that's fantastic. Okay. Enid, I want to uh, be respectful of your time here. So I'm going to, I'm going to move into our impact round, uh, kind of a yes. series of questions. Um, so I, I don't know if you saw them or not. Hopefully we're catching you off guard with some of them, but first question, you know. <laughs> are you a cat or a dog person? Dog. Dog. Alrighty. Uh, true or false? And I and I, I know this just from uh, reading up on you. I knew I wanted to be a veterinarian since I was a kid. Woo, five years old. Have it yeah. in writing. That's awesome. How would your <laughs> how would your friends describe what you do for a living? Does she ever stop working? 
<laughs> I could see that when, when we dove into this, uh, the first episode, part one, I was like, holy man, like you are doing uh, everything. Workaholic. Yeah. Okay. So when you're not working, uh, what is your favorite hobby? Oh, COVID times or pre-COVID? <laughs> what, whatever comes to um, mind. Okay. Pre-COVID, definitely. I, I do high-intensity interval training, so I go to hit classes, love them. It's my thing. Um, COVID, Netflix, many hours. Many hours. <laughs> That's fair. What in this world are you most grateful for? My children. Children. Nice. Okay, Enid, um, thank you so much. I know you have a very busy schedule, lots on your plate. We appreciate the time so, so much um, as our audience is going to appreciate hearing from the CVMA president. So thank you so much. If anyone uh, wanted to reach out or follow you or the CVMA, where can we direct them? Where would be the best place for that? So best place to see what CVMA is doing is go on our website or follow either Insta or Facebook for and Twitter for, for our social media. And if you want to reach us directly, uh, you can either send a general email to the sort of CVMA general email that's available on our website. And if you want to direct it to me, uh, you can just send it to that email and just say attention to the president Enid Styles, and I will get it. I get them all. Okay, excellent. I will drop that in the show notes. Uh, anything to add, Jonathan, before we wrap up? Just a large thank you. I think um, for our listeners, myself, even, you know, I've seen you in a couple of council meetings and seen you on your five minutes, which is great from a social media perspective. I think it's great to get to know the person behind and, mm-hmm. and see what's, what's formed in the experiences in your life. And um, I really enjoyed our conversation today. And I think it will be very beneficial to those um, that may want to go down the same track or want to know more about you. So I, this is great Super. and really enjoyed it. Thank you. I enjoyed being on. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Okay. As always, the last word goes to you. What message do you want to leave for the veterinary community? My message pretty much this year has been the same. Uh, and I, I'll say it over and over and over again. Um, please know that you cannot do it all. You are only one person. Surround yourself by those you love and those that support you, and you will be able to do anything in this world. Thank you for listening to the Veterinary Project Podcast. As a recap, on behalf of our hosts, the Veterinary Project Podcast will be releasing new episodes weekly. So be sure to tune in as we bring you more conversations aimed at helping you enjoy a life well lived. If you enjoyed what you heard on the show and you want to stay in the know, please like, love, and or subscribe to the podcast on the listening platform of your choosing, as we're available on all the usual suspects. If you know of others that may benefit from these conversations, we'd love it if you please share the show with them, as this will help us grow our community to reach more and more veterinary professionals. Speaking of which, if you are a veterinary professional and would like to get connected with more like-minded individuals who are joining us on this journey, please send an email to the Veterinary Project Podcast at gmail.com, and we'll invite you to be a part of our private Facebook group. General feedback, requests for information, or perhaps requests to be a guest on the show can also be sent to the Veterinary Project Podcast at gmail.com. 
Dr. Michael Bug and Dr. Jonathan Light, thank you for listening to the show, and we'll catch you again next week for another episode of the Veterinary Project Podcast. Bye for now. Bye for now.